0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. Um, appreciate you making the effort to be here this morning. You may be wondering, what in the world does it have to do with church? Those, you'll, you'll see the tie-in a little bit later this morning. For those who are new, my name is Donald, and... Um, We just want to welcome you here to our service this morning. Thank you for sharing part of your weekend with us. Uh, One of the things I always like to let our new people know is what we're all about. And uh, there's a main thing that we we do around here. And we try our very hardest to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing for us is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. I've said this so many times, but we really do believe that the most important relationship anyone can have, any man, woman, boy, or girl, is a relationship with Jesus. And we just believe that life is better when you do it uh, together. And I also want to give a shout out to those who are joining us online this morning. Thank you for inviting us into your space. I actually met somebody this week who's actually never been to a church service, but they watch us online. And uh, so thankful for the uh, video venue that we have, because often that is the first introduction as to who uh, we are. So uh, we just wanted to extend a welcome to those. And if you by the by, um, if you're watching here in our city, we just would like someday would you come and join us in person? And if you're watching as well from out of town, if you ever find yourself in Sarnia, we'll do our very best to make you feel right at home, won't we, Church? Yes, we will. Okay. Well, today we are wrapping up our series called "Done." For about six weeks now, we've been on this journey together, and basically, we've been looking at that those final words that Jesus said, just before Jesus breathed his last breath, just before Jesus said, Father, into, um, I commit my spirit into your hands again. Just before that, Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. And so what we've been trying to figure out, what did Jesus mean when he said, it is done? What was he able to accomplish in his 33 years of being on this earth that he could actually say, it's done? Well, one of the things that we've been discovering is everything that you and I ever needed to have to be in a relationship with God was done. Everything that you and I ever needed to have hope was done. Everything that you and I ever needed to have our sins forgiven was done. Everything that you and I ever needed to experience the grace of God was done. And so we've been kind of zeroing in on this word grace We said, you know, sometimes it can be easy to define grace, maybe even to explain grace. But until we have experienced grace, it really is hard to truly uh, understand it. Because grace is so counterintuitive to how we think. We've said that so many times. You know, we're so used to, hey, we achieve, then we are rewarded, right? We accomplish, and then we get recognized. But grace is the absolute opposite. We're rewarded with God's grace before we do anything for ourselves. See, grace is not given to us because we've accomplished something. It's not because we've done really well. It's not because we've made something of ourselves. It's not because we are a somebody. It's not because we climbed the ladder. No, that's not grace. Grace is extended to us, not because of what we've done. In fact, the Bible clearly states, while you and I were enemies, while you and I were still sinners... God went ahead and sent his son to die on the cross for us. Because he knew, he just knew we couldn't earn his favor. We couldn't be good enough. He knew our, our debt of sin was too great for us to pay. And so he just, because of his love and grace, went ahead and died on the cross. And because grace has been extended to us, we ought to be able to extend grace to others. But that's where it gets hard. That's where the rubber meets the road. Having to extend grace to someone else. Sometimes it's so hard. Especially if if someone has robbed you of your marriage. How do you extend grace? What about if someone has stolen your child's innocence? Like, how do you extend grace to someone who we just believe doesn't deserve it like we love right we love to experience grace but boy it can be hard to extend grace you know i was thinking about this this morning um i have a, there's somebody that came to my mind this morning that uh, i have a hard time extending grace to and and they've never done anything to me they have not done one thing to me and that is lebron james Seriously, what he did last night, no grace for Canadians to give to him. Well, needless to say, during these six weeks, I've gotten a lot of pushback uh, on this series. And I completely understand why, too. I completely understand why. You know, I, I have been told, Donald, 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 listen up. You are preaching way too much grace uh, we need a little bit more of the rules to balance it off. Because Donald, everyone knows if you preach too much grace, you know what that produces, right? It creates mayhem. And uh, I, I, I will agree that when you preach a lot about grace, it makes people uncomfortable, especially people like me, to be honest with you. Because you know what? I am a rules person, to be honest with you. I grew up and I loved rules. That's just my personality. I mean, I went to a Christian school. I went to a Christian university. I went to seminary. And there were always rules, and I was okay with that because I knew the boundaries. Everything had a right or wrong perspective. It was easy for me to live. But boy, sometimes when it came to grace, well, then that was the struggle. So I understand when people are uncomfortable when we talk so much about grace. See, with grace and truth... It really is the ultimate tension. A few years ago, I was at the Global Leadership Summit um, out of Willow Creek, Chicago. And, um, and a speaker got up to do a session. His name was Andy Stanley. Many of you would know who he is. And he said something in his session that honestly, it, it seemed so profound to me. I had never heard it put that way before. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. And you may say, "What was it that he said that was so profound to you?" You see, uh, the church that I was in, the, we, we had this problem, and, and I just didn't know how to answer it. Like I, I was like I was totally lost. And then he said, Andy Stanley, it, "It's attention to manage, not a problem to solve." And I thought that through. It's attention to manage, not a problem. To solve. I mean, have you ever noticed that sometimes there's not always a yes or no? It's not always black and white, but there's tension and trying to figure it out. And so sometimes you come across things that really it's not a problem to solve, it's a tension uh, to manage. And for somebody like me who really likes everything to be black and white, yes and no. It was a huge learning curve. For for instance, here at church, we are always, always managing tension. Always. For instance, you know, one of our desires is that our children's ministry would be the best hour of a child's week. Absolutely. We want it to be fun. We want it to be engaging. But here is the tension. We don't want to be so much fun that we lose the value of inputting truth. And yet we don't want to have so much truth that it loses the fun. So we're always trying to manage the tension. You know, there's the tension of, well, I think more money should go to overseas missions, while the people say, no, I think more money should be invested locally. It's not really a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. You know, should we build additional children's space, or should we remodel the teens space, right? It's it's not a problem to solve. It's a, it's a tension to manage. You know Some people will say, "I wish the music was so much louder." On the other hand, i got people coming to me say, "I wish the music was softer." Right? It's, "I wish the lights were brighter. I wish the lights were darker." See, it's, it's not a problem to solve, but it is a tension to manage. Some will say, "I love the old songs. Bring on the old songs." Other people say, "I just want to hear the new songs." It's not a problem to solve. But it is a tension to mention. And that is why there will always be tension between grace and truth. And people will say, you know, you're preaching too much grace, you need to give us a more hard-hitting truth. And some will say, you know, teaching too much truth, people will begin to miss the aspect of grace to cover their mistakes. My friend David uh, made this statement, and I think it's so true. He says, too much grace, too much grace leads to compromise, and too much truth leads to legalism. And we all have one or the other. I mean, some of us are grace-oriented, and sometimes we get so grace-oriented, we sometimes water down the truth. On the other hand, some of us are so hard towards truth that we get really prickly and legalistic. And some people would say, well, people just don't know me. And I would say, yeah, we do know you. It's just that we don't like that side of you. You know, amongst the staff, there is a phrase that we often use. This is the phrase. We say it all the time. Church is so Messy. Like, it's, it's messy. And it really is. I mean, you bring eight, 900 people together from, with different backgrounds, with different perspectives and different values and different beliefs and different baggage into a gathering, guaranteed it's going to get messy. And then, and then you meet those EGR people, the extra grace required people. And if you don't know any, it's probably because you're the one. <laughs> you know, sometimes I've been guilty of this. Because sometimes the less that someone knows about a situation, the more opinionated they will be about what's right and what's wrong. The ultimate tension to manage grace with truth. See, truth says you are accountable, but grace says you're forgiven. See, truth will say you got a problem, man, and grace will say you're broken. See, truth will say you blew it again, and grace says I love you anyway. See, truth says you got to work on it. You got to work on it, and grace says it's okay. And what I'm learning, it's it's not one or the other, it's both. It's not a problem to solve, it's a tension to manage. And all of us naturally lean to one or the other. Uh, You'll see it oftentimes in parenting. You know, one parent seems to be a little more grace-filled The other one a little more truth-oriented? And you know which one it is because if you're a teenager and you borrow the parent's car and you get in a car accident, you come home, you're looking for one particular parent. Right? Because they're going to ease the blow to the parent who's a little more truth-driven. Last night was prom. Prom. Uh, if you had a curfew and you came in late after your curfew, you're hoping that there's only one parent wake, staying up to see when you get home, right? Because they're going to soften the blow. Kids always want the grace-filled parent, except, except when it deals with their sibling, right? Like, you're, you go right to the truth-oriented parent. Something needs to be done. Justice needs to be served. You see what they're doing, right? We love having grace. Sometimes it can be challenging to give it to others. That's just who we are. truth-oriented Christians love to study the Bible. And they love to study the deep truths of the Bible. And for them, there are very clear right and wrongs. Um, They're very quick sometimes to judge and slow to forgive. Heavy on truth, but sometimes light on grace. And grace-oriented people find it easy to forgive and offer grace, but sometimes I have a hard time defining what really is right and wrong. And it just sometimes gets too heavy to deal with. Now, I was always taught, if you're going to make a judgment error, err on the side of grace. I remember being taught that for a long time. So my question is, which one are you? Are you a, a grace oriented person or a truth oriented person? Truth oriented Christians know their Bibles, they know right and wrong. Oftentimes, you'll find truth oriented Christians don't like small groups as much. You know, it's, it's too frivolous, it's just, it's just kind of connecting with each other, and, and they, they don't like those. It's a waste of time. Uh, truth oriented Christians can at times be very critical what people say. In fact, I have a few Christian friends who are super critical. They're over the top uh, critical, yet they know their Bibles. Uh, Truth-oriented Christians can become impatient with those who don't know the Bible as well. And here's something I find sad. Truth-oriented people can oftentimes lose their children because their children are turned off by judgmental attitudes. And sometimes truth-oriented Christians can be divisive. Truth-oriented Christians are like what it says in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, one, kind of a, a clanging sound. It says, you know, if I could speak... In the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I'm just a resounding gong, a clanging symbol. Yet grace-oriented Christians tend to make decisions based on feelings. Grace-oriented Christians find it hard. Sometimes to make decisions because they they don't know what what the truth is. Uh, grace-oriented Christians sometimes don't like to know theology because it's just viewed as divisive. Why even know that stuff? Grace-oriented Christians sometimes can lose their children to a sinful lifestyle because they don't want to be viewed as strict. And grace-oriented Christians don't like to confront in order not to look judgmental. So which one are you? Because really, no one is the perfect balance of both. What is your natural propensity for? Whatever it is, lean toward the other. If you are naturally designed, your DNA is like, I am a truth-oriented person. I want to encourage you to lean into grace. And if you are, you're like, this is just who you are. You are a grace-oriented, grace-filled person. I want to encourage you, lean into the truth. I, I grew up in a great church. I love my church that I grew up. I, I have so many great childhood memories. But I will say the church I grew up in was really leaning hard into truth. I mean truth was the main man in the ring. He was the captain of the team, truth. And I can remember as a teenager, I mean, we were just encouraged to know our Bibles. And and I remember by the time I graduated from high school, uh, our youth group, we had memorized 10 books of the Bible, word for word, from beginning to end. Like it was really drilled into us know God's Word. But we're a little light on, on grace. And so I'm very thankful that I grew up in a home where grace was talked about and demonstrated and practiced. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, and the reason I always want to encourage you to bring your Bibles is because I want you to see, I'm not making this stuff up. I want you to see for yourself what the Bible says. And if you have some kind of electronic device, you can follow along as well. But turn to John, the book of John. And uh, if the Bible is still you know, relatively new to you, John is in the New Testament. He's one of the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to look at the very first chapter, John Chapter 1. For some of you, this is probably a very familiar passage. For others, maybe it's the first time you've ever heard it. But actually in this passage are some amazing, very deep theological truths in, in John chapter 1. So let's look at it. John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. So, first thing I want you to notice here the word actually is reference to that capital W. It's a reference to Jesus. So, it'd be like reading, In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Uh, that's what's being said here. In fact, then in verse 2, he says, He was with God in the beginning. Uh, through Him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so what we discover right here, Jesus is actually the creator of the world. Verse 4, in him, Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So Jesus has come into the world, but people don't understand Verse 6, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. This is not John who wrote the book of John. This is a reference to John the Baptist, okay? Uh, Let's pick it up. Sent God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So John's saying somebody's coming. In verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not even recognize him. So again, you see what it's saying? Here's somebody who created the world. He's now living in the world, and nobody even recognizes who he is. That's what he's saying. That's what John's saying here. Continue reading. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Like his own people, which were the Jewish people. That's who he came for. And his own people didn't receive him. So he's he's, he's in the world. He's living amongst the world. His own people don't receive him. Nobody recognizes who he is. That's what he's saying. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. So, what they're saying, see, there used to be a time it was designed for the Jewish people, God's people, but now there's a time that's come. It's for everybody. Everybody can actually be a child of God because of Jesus. That's what's being told here in John's saying. It says in verse 14, the word became flesh. This is, we refer to the incarnation, the manger and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, this is what I want to notice here, full of grace and truth. Two words describing who he is, grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cries out, saying, this was he of whom I said... He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was, but because he was before me. So even there, it's making a reference to the internality of, of, uh, of who Jesus is. Like Jesus is going to come after John the Baptist, and yet when he does come, he surpasses John the Baptist, and then John Baptist says, but he actually was before me. So there's a reference to the eternality of who Jesus is. Let's continue reading here. Uh, verse 16, from the fullness of his grace... We all have received one blessing after another. He is saying grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace has been ours. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. I read that passage and it gives an incredible picture of Jesus and and Jesus points people to God and then I begin to think, how do people see Jesus? If Jesus is how we see what God's like, how do we see Jesus? And that's when I say, I think it's through God's people. We get to see who Jesus is. So if we want people to see Jesus, John says it's a life full of truth and grace. See, truth-oriented Christians can be quick to judge and mix mix their preferences with biblical truth. Strong on truth, but short on grace. Yet grace-oriented Christians, they love grace, they love living in the freedom of grace, but sometimes they don't emphasize truth of what the Bible says. They believe the best in people, even though the evidence would say something contrary. Strong on grace, but weak on truth. See, some people think grace and truth are incompatible. They're not incompatible, actually. They're interdependent upon each other. And it says in verse 14 there, Jesus, it doesn't say Jesus was half grace and half truth. It says he was full of grace, full of truth. 100% truth, 100% grace. Not 50% grace and 50% truth. 100%. Grace or truth with the absence of other say that again? Grace or truth with the absence of the other is dangerous, poisonous, and toxic. One without the other. See, every difficulty that you're gonna have in your marriage, every difficulty you're gonna have in your job, every difficulty you're ever gonna have in a relationship and a friendship, every difficulty we're gonna have in a church is because something is missing. Someone is not full of truth and grace. We always choose one or the other. And if we choose truth, sometimes it's very easy to come across as self-righteous and prideful, which is poisonous to the church and oftentimes pushes people away from Christ. That is why we say grace and truth is not a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. I don't know how many people have ever read a book by Randy Alcorn. He's written a number of books, but he's got one book. It's called The, uh, the Grace and Truth Paradox, and he gives a personal illustration of his own church. When I was reading, I was like, what? This is crazy. Well, here, here's what happened. So he's pastoring a church, and the church that he's pastoring uh, happens to be a pro-life church. And so it was decided that a pro-choice group was going to come and protest and picket on Sunday morning this pro-life church. Okay. And so word had gotten out. So the church decided they were going to prepare themselves okay, for when the pro-choice group of people came. You know how they prepared? They set up tables to serve coffee and donuts. Okay. So just imagine this. That's how the church is beginning to prepare. By the way, let me just read the group that was coming. Three groups were combining together to protest the church. Here are the three groups. Radical Women for Choice, Rock for Choice, and the Lesbian Avengers. Okay. Three groups of people had gathered forces to protest the church. So you got the picture? And so the church prepared, and the church said, you know, we do differ on this, but at least we can have a dialogue and treat them with respect. The problem was, there was another group of people, a radical pro-life group, that decided they were going to come and protest the protesters who were protesting the church. Okay. So Sunday morning arrives, and you have the... Pro choice people protesting, and then comes uh, a pretty radical pro life group, and before you know it, you know, the pro yelling at each other, uh, saying some nasty things towards each other, and the church finally asked one group to leave. Guess which one they asked to leave? The pro life group. Well, that did not go over very well with the pro life group. So next week, the following week, they came to protest the church for not being pro-life enough. Okay. So the church had picketed two weeks in a row. One week by a group of pro-choice people because the church stand on abortion. You know, The church felt that they were standing for what they believe is truth. The next week the church was being protested by a radical pro-life group because the church was, was showing too much grace. And I think they got it right, the church. If we offend everybody, we are emphasizing truth at the expense of grace. But if we offend nobody, we probably are likely watering down the truth in the name of grace. Uh, Martin Luther, we talked about him a couple weeks ago, um, said this. Our enemy does not care which side of the horse we fall off as long as we don't stay in the saddle. Have one foot in the stirrup of grace and one in truth. John fourteen six. It's Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father but by me. Truth is to be embraced. And that's what Jesus says. Nobody's going to come to the Father but actually through me. So truth is to be embraced. But you know what we embrace today? It's tolerance. Now, tolerance and truth, uh, it is tolerance. And truth is to be subservient to tolerance. That's what you hear this day and age. But let me tell you what tolerance is. Tolerance is when you truly practice truth and grace. See, you, it, you can't tolerate what you do not agree with, but true tolerance is treating people kindly that you fundamentally disagree with. That's actually tolerance. A truth that is not popular. A truth that's not popular is that Jesus is the only way. That, that's what... That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus himself said. He is the only way, although it's not a popular. It's not a popular truth. The Bible has a lot to say also about sexual activity. Yeah, not that popular, though. Doesn't mean it's not true. The Bible has things to say about drunkenness. Right? The Bible makes it very clear. It's not funny, drunkenness. In fact, it's destructive. The Bible has a lot to say about fact that sex before marriage is to be out of bounds. It's supposed to be reserved for the marriage bed. Now, of course, I realize that that kind of thinking, we're told hey, that's, that's, that's really narrow, and it's intolerant. But truth is not intolerant. It may be hard to swallow, but it's not intolerant. True tolerance is speaking to people respectfully and kindly that we fundamentally disagree with it's grace and truth and there will always be attention to manage not a problem to solve do you ever notice that when you read your Bibles that the people who were the most sinful wanted to be around Jesus (laughs) they enjoyed his company they sought him out and they spent time with him he grew such a reputation that they actually labeled him with a name. They said he was a friend of sinners. I think they meant it as an insult. He took it as a compliment. People who, do not, who did not follow Jesus, the Bible gives a story about they actually tore the roof off of a house just to be with Jesus. And... Sometimes I think today people would be willing to jump out of a window rather than talk to a Christian. Maybe it's because some of us are so hardened to truth that we lack a little bit of grace. Because the people who were the least like Jesus actually liked Jesus. It kind of goes back to verse 16. It says grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And God loves to give up grace. He loves to shower grace on people. A truth-oriented people can sometimes trample on the very people who are desperate for grace. It's like the little girl who prayed by her bed, got down on her knees and folded her hand and said, Dear Lord, please make the bad people good and make the good people nice. (laughs) Grace that compromises truth is not biblical grace. Jesus came down on the hardest, actually, on those who were probably more theologically in line with him. The religious rulers. Jesus spoke bold truth to the confident, the proud, and he spoke a soft grace to the broken and humble. Jesus never dumbed down the truth and he never dialed back the grace. He wasn't just 50% grace and 50% truth. He was 100% truth and 100% grace. John chapter one, Jesus who is full of grace and truth. Truth and grace is not a problem to solve, but it is a tension to manage. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for our time together. and Lord, we know that this area of truth and grace, it can be so hard to manage. We, We know that. All of us probably have experienced that. And so, God, I pray for us as a church that we would be a church that really is characterized by both truth and grace. Lord, help us to know how to manage that. Lord, help us not to get so onto one side that where it does become toxic. Lord, your example is you are full of truth and grace. And God, help us to live a life full of truth and grace so that we actually point people to Jesus.